you to now this next place. You know, I've thought about all the times this week I was meditating, all the times I've reset things, you know, and it's not really resetting. What it is, it's going from glory to glory. And I always believe that every time we go to the next place that God's called us to, the first thing he always deals with is me. I mean, he ain't going to give me stuff and let me learn stuff without letting me experience things. And you have to have experiential knowledge, not just knowledge. The Greek word is genosko, to ex have experiential knowledge. People that have just knowledge, they, they get puffed up and they think there's something that they're not. And guess what else happens to them? They think and they rely upon the, those nuggets of knowledge to impress people. I've been there. We us. <laughs> Napios. I remember we taught on the, the five powers of God, Peruso. And we got to learn them again. We sang about it, preached it, and all that. But we're going to this place now that is probably the most exciting place and part of the journey that I've ever personally experienced. Because a lot of the seed that I have planted over the years, one time, I tell you what, I was praying one time, and I was praying. That God, I forget what cliche I had back then, that God would, would explode and bring forth every seed I ever planted. And then I thought a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I don't want every seed to come up that I've ever planted. Huh? I just want, but I begin to, I notice that, you know, just like everything else God does, he does it through seed. He does it through seed time harvest. He does it through a, a process. Nothing's immediate. That's why the lie of, you know, salvation by grace, period, just, it's done deal. That, that's why we know that's not true. We know that Yeshua was created in the belly of a woman, and there's a process of time. So I am, I'm guess that probably instead of me just commanding the seed to come, commanding the seed to come, you know, you're not going to rush seed back in the days of agriculture all those old men remember those old men I always talk to you about them with skinny legs they sit on the porch and they cross their legs and their leg last leg would foot would touch the ground and they're out there on the porch or on the front of old store smoking cigarettes and and drinking rc colas eating moon pies you know and he got there and they just sit there and talk they don't do nothing ain't you going to work today i've already worked i've already sown I've already done it. But, and there was a process of time that came before there actually had a harvest. Most of us don't know how to sit on the front porch and be patient and wait for the process of God. Because of the culture that we live in, we would go crazy sitting on the front porch smoking a cigarette. Just waiting. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, let me see. Let me check. What do, we, do we do this today? Is this happening today? I wonder how we get it. We're trying to work things over. And the fact is... I, it may be just because I'm older and I'm beginning to see the fruit. I always talked about the fruit of holy matrimony. And, you know, it takes a process of time to have fruit. And, and I got, I will, I'll testify this because it's such a miraculous thing. Not that I've had a bad marriage because I've had a wonderful marriage. But in this season of my life, my marriage is, is what I'm experiencing is, is beyond what I could have ever even imagined. Are you bragging, Johnny? Yes, I am. Because the fruit of holy matrimony. And I know that if I am experiencing these things, that you're going to. But you ain't going to do it the first day. Can I get an amen with that? I got a text this week. It just don't take much to make me happy. 
I'm just being honest with you. You just bring my steak cooked out right, you get a big tilt. I'm a happy man. And I love a little bit of encouragement. My sponsor this week is Diet Right Cola. <laughs> You're going to steal my money from me. And this is what the text said to me. You know, I preached a message last week, and I talked about a group of people in this house, this, this now generation, if you want to call it, because it's not the church of tomorrow, yesterday, or whatever they say. These, we have a core of people that are solid, real deal people. And what I, I, I told you last week is that, you know, I've never, I've never looked at tithes and offerings. Years ago, Dick Brinkley did it. Jonathan's done it. But I said, hey, I'm grading papers now. And I'm seeing those people who are of faith and who are not. And, we're, and so anyhow, I want to preach the standard and I don't, I don't want to compromise. I, uh, and I got this text. Hey, Apostle Johnny, I just wanted to message you and say thank you for teaching us the gospel and what Yahweh truly expects from us. This gospel is powerful, and I appreciate you taking time to study and teach us what the standard is. i got to tell you, young lady, that was a powerful thing to, for you to say that to me. I've always heard this, the, the saying that thin skin is a terrible disease. And I believe that people who have that will never get the well done, those things that are necessary to gain access into the kingdom, to rule and reign with Christ. It... it Actually, I, I have participated in it because when you have a certain strength or a thing and what you know to do, that's what you rely upon. And when you rely upon that, you think you're successful if people accept what, you, what your strength may be. So I, was, well, I wanted people to like my singing. But what happened is church evolved into something that it was a long way from the true purpose of assembling together. And that's what's going to happen. We spent the last, what, how many years did we say? 2000, that's 10, 12 years uprooting and pulling down and destroying all that false doctrine that we've been taught all of our lives from the American gospel. And systematically and line upon line, we learned the true gospel. We even saw where it was contaminated and what happened and who, who when, it, when the church married, uh, the church at Pergamum, you know, where they married for, the Bible says, for elevation somebody got to tell somebody the truth and, and as we go to this next step we're going to see and we're going to find out that just like every other step that the truth is going to expose who we really are and if you can allow somebody to tell you the truth without getting your feelings hurt that truth is going to be a blow of death to your ego church has to be a place where the word is preached and we Keep it in season and out of season. I love what Veronica said the other day on Wednesday night. Veronica was talking about, you know, a time she was struggling. How many of you have ever done that before? Huh? All three of us? Yeah, okay. And she called me up and she said, what? I said, look, just keep doing the right thing. Just keep doing the right thing. Whether your feelings are there or not. Because your feelings can be there or not be there based on who knows what. Especially if we're emotional type people. But the Word of God has to be done, whether it's in season or out of season, we still do what God's Word says. And we must have a place, the Bible said, Paul told Timothy, this is what you do in church. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with all patience and with all doctrine. So it's a place, and I don't think our church has a problem with that, honestly. But we've got to want 
the truth and know the truth and love the truth about who we are so much that when we come into the house of God, we desire criticism and correction. We know that that is a sign of love. It's a place where the Bible says that, that them that sin rebuke before all that others may also fear. I'm going to tell you, there's not many people can stand that test. Get her feelings hurt, and you may miss, and I don't that, and, and it's because of the society. But I want to tell you, if, if we have not a created and invited and been part of the creation of that type of environment when we assemble, then guess what? Nobody in this house is going to be free. We're going to be bound by the same stuff year after year, time after time, and we'll ultimately eventually blame God for it. If you don't let me rebuke you, then I'm most certainly going to never be able to rebuke your sickness or disease. All right, that's old school stuff. You know that. But I do think you should stop right now and thank Yahweh that you do have somebody who loves you enough to speak the truth to you at the peril of loss. And you can see that there are many people that can't stand to be told the truth. Their ego just can't take it. So we're resetting. Kind of a little, a little review from the last few weeks that there's a few things that we're going to be resetting. One is the way we do church. We're on the last few leg of doing church like we're doing it right now. That, that's going to come to an end, and you'll see. One thing is that we must morph, transform, shift to doing things for God, not because of what we can get from it, but because we love Him. You know, the litmus test of whether you love God or not is whether or not you keep His laws. The law of love is way harder than the Ten Commandments. But if you love me, guess what you'll do? You won't steal from me. If you love me, you're not going to lie to me. If you love me, you're not going to covet myself. You, you get my point? This, this, if you love me, if you keep my commandments, go into a thing of developing and having love for God. Because the goal is to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we got another one called brotherly love we've always been after unity and 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 accord one mind and one accord i've always told you that the vehicle for the anointing is unity and accord but what what i was always did as a young man is i wanted the unity and the accord so for the power because i wanted the anointing for me i mean that's when you get down to the bottom gut of it that's what it is I met recently with an old friend of mine, roommates. Love this guy, man. I told him, I said, bro, I forgot how much I love you. He pastors the church. And, you know, we were just talking all about all these things. And, and, when, and, and the, the purpose of what we're doing isn't so we can have, you know, unity for the right reason. And I told him, I said, listen, the bottom line is we know what they put in us and what the goal of success was. That success was a lot of people and a lot of money. And we were so in a spot down in who, what we believe that everything we did, it, the motive was high behind it was to be successful. I'm going to tell you what. I know this. You better be careful because success can rob you of just as much as failure can. Don't you ever forget that. Success can rob you of just as much as failure can. I've seen it happen over and over to love God and to love people 
That's why you want the anointing. It's, it's, it's the, the, the relationship. It's the power to do and to help. And, and I know this, that when brothers and sisters dwell together in love and in unity, it's powerful. The reason the supernatural power of God hasn't been straight, uh, demonstrated like Yahweh would like to see his people live is the lack of understanding and the importance of one body. And it be part of that body. When we gather together and we get together in unity and in one accord with brotherly love, what happens is there's power and Yahweh will overcome every obstacle and demonstrate his supernatural power in a way that we haven't really tasted. And we've seen some of it in spite of us, but I don't think we've seen it because of us. You got to be part of the body. Why? Because that's just the way it is. Why? Because that's the law. It's just like the law of gravity. There's no way to getting around it. It's just the way it is. When you get cut off from Duke Energy or during hurricane, one little limb can disrupt your power. How many of you know that? For days. We've had it days like that. You get disconnected from the power company, guess what? It's candle time or flashlight time. But no AC. Easy principle. So basic. Last week, you know, I did, I did, dealt with the first thing and being honest with Yahweh and with tithing. And like I did, you know, today, we stop, we bow our heads. You know, let's cut through the chase. I, look, if, be honest. If you're not going to, if you don't have the faith and you're not going to be able, a person that God can trust with money, there's no reason for you to think that you're going to get a well done doing anything else. If you're going to not be honest and lie to God, you know, I, I remember years ago, I put something on Facebook. I put on Monday morning, I put, well, the church got robbed again yesterday. Oh, you should have heard all the people. And nobody liked it except the, when, the, when I told them what I was talking about. All my pastor friends that don't believe anything else I believe, I said, oh, amen. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. So we dealt with that last week. I mean, it's just been a principle here. And I needed to review something else. Because I believe that if we do not believe the true gospel that we're going to compromise somewhere, and it's easy to say you believe something, but if it don't affect your actions, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. And the thing that I thought was very important for us to understand is the correct eternal perspective. Because I feel like I need to make sure I tear down an imagination that is exalting itself against God and a subconscious vision that robs us from being able to prepare for the only thing in your life that's ever going to matter, and that's whether or not you rule and reign with Christ or not. And I've spent time on talking about the, the, the resurrected body and how it works and, and, and time and space continuum and, and uh, Newton's law of gravity. I talked about some all that kind of stuff. Because when I do that, some people think I know what I'm talking about. But to have an understanding that's based in what the Bible really teaches. I think on Facebook today I was talking about the, the liar, the, the liar, a liar and the father of all liars. That's what he lied about. That when you die, you're going to not die. But you're going to have eternal life just somewhere else. We know Yahweh said, if you eat of this tree, thou shalt surely die. And the serpent said what? You're not going to really die. That's the lie and the father of lies and the people who preach that. And I used to be a son of a liar. And I believed and propagated that lie. But thank God I got adopted into my father's family. So I want you to, you know, 
the life that we're spending all our time and money and resources and thoughts and on, on gives us that life right there that we're just, yeah, we're so vested in only gives us one guarantee. This is what it guarantees you and me, this life. You ain't going to survive it. You're not going to survive this life. So we have to look to the thing that God has called us to so we can equip ourselves so we can survive. Man, I, I, I am so... I am so impressed and proud of and people that are survivors. You know, like, uh, you know, you see a lot of breast cancer survivors, you know, the pink ribbons and these women that had cancer. And I've seen people survive all kinds of tragedies and traumas, and they're just strong people. And I mean, I'm just so, I'm, I just so appreciate them and, and respect them so much. But the thing that we have to survive to make anything worth surviving in this life for is if we survive death. That's why we have to seek first what? Going to heaven when we die. No, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness, doing what he's told you to do, not like Cain, the, the, sign, the, the sign of Cain, which is I'm going to make up stuff. I'm just going to serve God the way I want to. He wants, he wants a blood sacrifice. I'm going to give him turnips. I'm going to decide what I give. I'm going to decide how I live. I'm going to decide. That's the way of Cain. No, we've got to seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we're motivated to be righteous because we know that we're seeking something that we have to be righteous in order to inherit, to get, to qualify. We must, and I say it a thousand times, we must live our lives with a kingdom perspective. And everything else by comparison is just dust in the wind. It's going to blow away. It's going to rust and rot. I want to get into a message this morning. Those are just like review. I know Paul said that you got to be everything to everybody. I've really tried it in my life. And when people go through stuff and, and have gone through stuff, man, it's really, I'm not saying it's hard on me. It means I'm worse than they are, more pitiful than they are. It's hard on me. But that's what I had to learn. I felt, number one, I'm not the physician. I'm not the surgeon. I'm not the psychiatrist. I'm not the motivational speaker. I'm not the massage therapist. I'm not the mechanic. I don't fix washing machines. But I've always wanted to defend God when things went wrong in your life. And I am discovering again, which I knew, but I'm dealing with what we've all dealt with and we deal with every day, you know, internal dialogue and all those kind of things. I'm not having a lot of sin problems, sinning it, just outward sins. But now we're dealing with thought life, which we've always dealt with. I'm dealing with motive now. I tell you, I'm the man who you always sent to your life to get you well done. I'm the leader in this house. You should say, you should do what I say. Of course, always checking me out if you need to. I love you, and I'm going to talk to you this morning. And if you listen closely, you're always going to personally speak through me to you. You're going to hear it here, and it's going to apply exactly to your position and the place you're in in your life. Will you do that this morning? You received Yahweh talking to me. He talked to me with this. This is today's question. Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, yeah. I, I, Joel, I titled this, Can You Smell What the Apostle's Cooking? And I know that's old wrestling. But I thought it would be something people would listen to. I've faithfully preached this gospel. And if the message preached is rejected, then I had to learn and persevere in hope to not condemn myself. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about me today some more because I know more about me than I do you. But God knows more about you than I do. And guess what? What I'm experiencing, you, God's going to take it. And what I'm going through, he's going to take my experience and, and make it tailor fit for you. Man, I preach the gospel. Nobody, when they didn't receive it, y'all know, man, I'm telling you, it was, y'all know the gospel that we preached. But when people didn't, re, didn't re, receive it, and still don't, I, I, would, I would condemn myself. I labored seemingly to assume the responsibility of people's souls on me, and I became very depressed in spirit. I got, let me tell you a quick story. There was a guy that came to church years ago. I've told you this story before. And the way he came to church is I was kind of witnessing to him, and, and I went to his house and talked to him, him and his wife, and he had lived on a little canal up north of town, and, and uh, he had a compound bow, and I've never shot one before. So I invited him to one of our men's meetings, and he, and he was shooting that compound boy. Th th this guy was a Vietnam vet who was 100% uh, disabled from PTSD and a bunch of other number letters. And so uh, I told him that. He said, I don't know if I'm going to come or not. I said, well, i tell you what, let's shoot for it. So we shot the compound bow. I beat him. He comes to the meeting, and from that on, he started coming to the church. Dick knew the guy real well, and, and uh, Gloria knew, knew them. And he's passed away now. I don't know if y'all knew that, Terry Thompson. And uh, I'll never forget, he and I went fishing one time, and he was driving this truck, pulling the little gimu that we were going to fish in. And this guy was on a lot of medication. Dick said when he took him to the veterans' hospital, most people's file was about this big. He said they brought his out on a dolly. So Terry picks me up in his little Toyota truck, and he, we're driving down 40. I mean, this is when it was skinny 40. And he was driving, and he started crying. <laughs> I'm like, man, what's the road? He's crying. I'm grabbing the steering wheel. You know, I'm like, he's just, I mean, weeping. I said, dude, what's wrong? Did you, did you not take your meds? He said, there's four spiritual leaders in the world. I don't know who three of them are, but I know one of them. So I said, kidding i said who he said me i said you your spiritual leader yeah and all these people are going to hell and i'm going to be responsible for it uh, i mean dude pull over he pulled over i drove to the to the pond we get out in the boat which i should have just turned around and we get in there and this was back in the days when i was teaching the fatherhood principle you know and bastard sons and all that and so he looked up at me he started crying in the ginu and he looked up at me and he said, you think I'm a bastard, don't you? I said, you're fixing to be a drowned one if you take another step close to me. I'm telling you right now, I will baptize you. I will drown you, Terry. And I've joked about that story. To find out, I'm him. <laughs> I've assumed the responsibility of everybody's life. You know, I'm not in, I, I don't, I take a little field every now and then, you know erythromide and potassium and stuff. I don't think I'm crazy, but I assume the responsibility of people's lives. I mean, I'm talking real-time stuff. And then when Facebook came on, oh my God, I was ready to just kill myself. Text messages, email, Facebook Messenger, all these people, you know, it's like, I felt like Jim Carrey. And all these sticky notes, all these people praying. Now, it wasn't that. It was probably like only seven or eight people that I've had in church all these years. But it wore on me and it depressed me, man. And the temptation kept rising up in me. 
to give up the work because I was just in despair. You invest in people's lives, you do all that. And listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not here with a pity party. I'm saying this to you to help you understand that, you know, we go through stuff for whatever the reasons. But the heaviness, man, was de- destroying my power to do good. And I became unhappy that the joy and the personality of who I really was had departed me. I told you. I, re- for, I repented of it. Being a monk or the desire to be. But in all of that, of trying to make, make this person serve, don't serve God, don't do that. Come on, do this. You tell you, please tithe, just tithe, man. Tithe. Not because I want the money or nothing like that, but for you. I, I mean, what this? Come, we come to church. You, will you come to church? Don't just lay out of church, you know. I just Don't you know that? Uh, and the people just going to do what they want to do. And it drove me nuts because I wanted it for them. And in dealing with them so much, I forgot who I was. Then I remembered if I had put the gospel faithfully before people and I pressed it upon them, and if they refused it, I had nothing more to do with the matter except to pray. But inside, deep inside, we have this thing. I'm going to get off of me in a minute, I promise you. If I earnestly entreated Yahweh and tried again and again to plead and to urge with your consciences that you would be reconciled to God, and if I still failed, I remembered something. Hallelujah. I remembered that I would not be held responsible for not doing what I could not do. But I wanted to be a surgeon, a psychiatrist, a mechanic. You know, when everybody had a problem, I assumed it on myself. It was my problem. To the point, I'm like, here, here's money. You need money for that, I'll give you money for that. To to the peril of my loss. I'm not boasting in that. I want to tell you, I'm trying to teach us something about, because we're going to a place of brotherly love like you maybe don't understand or we haven't. We got the gospel down. What is it that, Johnny, that you can't do? I hate to confess this. I'm going to tell you what I can't do. I can't turn the heart of stone to flesh. I can't awaken a dead sinner to life. And I can't save backslidden son and daughter and my wife looks at me and says it took you so long to figure it out i've taken on a heavy enough responsibility and in my own head remember i told you this it's just like in me I, I, i've taken on my own my responsibility is heavy enough without me exaggerating it and making it bigger than i have been called to handle for one i ain't god either i'm not anybody's personal sponsor and if people reject the gospel of the kingdom and qualifying and Yahshua and the truths that we preach here, let me tell you what, it goes right back to Granny Smith in 1979, a lady who had Alzheimer's. We, we didn't know it was dementia and Alzheimer's back then. Matter of fact, we didn't know it was Alzheimer's for a long time. We would call it old timers because we didn't know what the word was till the internet came on. She told me to prophesy and she quoted Ezekiel 33 to me. He said, and, she's, and this is part of it. If they don't heed, then their blood is on their own hands. I saw that Yeshua didn't always weep over Jerusalem. He sometimes rejoiced. We're not keepers of other men's souls in a boundless sense. There's a limit to our responsibility, and it's foolish to allow excessive sensitivity to burden us into what is, I want to say semi-lunacy, but it's just plumb crazy. Okay, this is how I've had to learn. Some of you have already are tired of trying to help people. You've withdrawn. You're tired. People get on your nerves. They bother you. They're a bother. Well, they should have done this, or they shouldn't have lived that, and they shouldn't have had that thing, and you shouldn't have done You know, I know. So I'm going to, so again, then I'm going to ask the question, am I my brother's keeper, though? After all of that, and if I am, how does that manifest, and how does that work? 
to glorify God and to do what the right thing is to do. Of course, this is a question asked Cain. Here is Cain again, Stephanie. That's, that Cain's something, ain't he? Huh? That Cain, man, he's got, there's so much truth in Cain. It's it just, you know, we know that he, the way of Cain is to do it his way. That's why I call it the way of Cain. It's not God's way, it's Cain's way. And of course, God rejected it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. And I got to tell you how I read this. I was sharing this with this pastor friend of mine I was talking about the other day. Because I was getting it out of me, and plus I was wanting to share with him my journey and what my gospel that, that we were preaching, the gospel of the kingdom. And I didn't read the Bible. Excuse me, am I my brother's keeper? I think Cain was sarcastic. I think he was scorned. Cain displayed a shameful attitude and tone of presumptuous disrespect in the way that he was insulting God. Now we know that wasn't Yahweh in the, in, in the sense of Yahweh, it's the Elohim. Same thing. And if this hadn't been in the record of Genesis, I, I probably would have doubted that somebody would speak so sarcastically and so disrespectful when actually conscious of the fact that there's somebody that is in the position that they would be that way to. Nonetheless, God himself, I hear people blaspheming all the time, you know, in a, in a terrible way, but it's usually because they forget that God can hear you. I used to, when I played golf different courses, I'd play, and then about, we get about to the 17th hole, people would say, what do you do? I said, I miss putts is what I do. No, what do you do? And I tell them, you know, and they say, oh, for, I'm so sorry, man, for cussing around you, and, and I'm so sorry. I said, dude, you don't need to worry about me because God can hear you. Yet we just let him fly. We forget God. We ignore his presence, but Cain knew God was right there, and he was conscious that God was talking to him, and he heard God say to him, where's your brother Abel? And he dared with the coldest disrespect to say this God, to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You think I have to keep watch over him like he watches over his precious little sheep? Why would he have that attitude? Why do I think that way? I hear him saying this, you don't know? Oh, you're God. You don't know where he is? I thought you, got, I thought you knew everything. I thought you don't know where your boy is? That's your boy. <clears throat> That's your favorite guy, remember? Am I a shepherd like he is? And am I to take care of uh, him like he does crippled sheep or whatever? I'm not the shepherd, remember? I don't have to watch over. I'm not him. I'm the veggie man, remember? I'm the veggie man. The one whose offering you did not accept. I think that's kind of how he said it. If he didn't with his mouth, I think in his heart he did. Bitter about refusing, about God refusing his offering because he did it his own way. This unfriendly, disrespectful rudeness in Cain. See, if we don't do it God's way, then we get mad at God. We get stupidly, ignorantly ugly. And we say we stay stuff to God that won't come back to you. I know that to be true. He was so disrespectful and rude. I think it's an indication of the state his heart was in that led up to his doing what? Doing what? Doing what? Murdering his brother. Oh, God Almighty. You're going to murder your brother? Wow. And it was also partly a result 
He'd already murdered him. He committed the crime. He's talking ugly. I don't think he would have accomplished the brutal deed and bloodshed of his own brother if he had not first cast off fear of God. He got offended because God said, no, no. You know, if you'd, if you'd done what I told you, I would have accepted it. I mean, what? No, you know that's wrong. Now, you didn't do it. Why, what do you want me to do? You did this. Now, this is me reading into the conversation, and I think I'm accurate. All he had to do is what his brother did. Y'all with me this morning? Hang on. He committed the murder, and the influence of sin upon Cain's mind, I believe, made it was intense. And he was able to speak to God's face what he felt in his heart and say, am I my brother's keeper? This goes a long way to me, explains what, what, because uh, I've seen court TV and stuff, you know, I've seen that stuff. And you can see these hardened criminals, I mean mass murderers, and they get on the stand or they're in court and they're just quiet as can be. Have you ever seen that? They're just as quiet as they can be. For me, an innocent man is the one that should be yelling and screaming if you're wrongly accused, do you agree with that? Guilty person, I believe, can become dispassionate and, and unmoved because he's already been so unfeeling that he's dipped his hand in blood and he's killed. Now, there's a lot of other ways to kill and things that can be killed. Do you know you can kill a lot of things in your life? Your marriage can be killed. Did you know that? Marriage, can, you can kill that thing. A lot of people, when, I, when they get to me, they're in critical condition in their marriage. Some people, you know, serve God, and, and they, wanna, they don't want to sit on the porch and smoke a cigarette and cross their legs. They want God to do it now. Do it for me, you know, just like teenagers and people like that today and youth and kids. And then we get mad about it. Our God tells us, look, this is how you got to do it. And then when he won't do it, and it develops this attitude. And then guess what? Then we cut off our brothers. Oh, it's too much. Too much. I'm like, nah, nah, but. The truth is, the reason that it becomes too much is because we are cut off, because that's the only way we can get life from God. You cannot get the life of God, just you and Him. It doesn't work. There is a body, and the oil flows down to us. And then, you know, you can, be, you can have repentance, you can be convicted of sin and all that, but you cannot walk in divine life when you are disconnected from the body or even dislocated. Guys, man, and I preached on this so hard, willful sin. We talked about it for probably till we all got sick of hearing it. We got to avoid sin. We got to avoid doing it our way. And it's only for the sake that the evil effect has upon our minds. Sinning has a horrible effect on our minds. It will poison our hearts. It cripples our conscience. It drugs our conscience, man. It just puts it to sleep. And we will do things that we never thought we would do. And it will intoxicate our judgment. And we do stupid stuff. It puts all of our faculties in this state of drunkenness. And it empowers us to, do, to be hideously brave. I tell you, I'm there, I'm there, I did this, God did not, man, I'm doing that. I got, I, I, God ain't going to do it for me, watch me, I'm just going to get here and do it. Okay. We're blinded by, with disrespect, and that makes us mad enough. Turn to your neighbor and say mad enough. Makes us mad. And stupid enough. You don't have to say that to them. To dare insult God his face Yahweh please save us let's bow our heads right now everybody bow your head let's just say Yahweh save us from our hearts getting hammered to the hardness of steel keep us by your grace Yahweh 
Keep us sensible and tender before you and trembling at your words. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? I'm going to continue then. Because I think it's easy for me, it was for me, to condemn Cain. I've been condemning Cain all my whole life. But we remember that I was, I'm not without guilt myself. Because if I look at it without prejudice, every kind of excuse that I make to God is a very serious case of presumption. I am no different than Cain when, when God says something to me and I have these excuses. And I'm charged. But that's wrong. Somebody tells me the truth, that's wrong. And God, and I, the Word tells me the truth. The Spirit Word speaks to me. Your apostle tells you. And then what happens then, then we begin denying it. We provide this, as the court people call it, extenuating circumstances and excuses. Then we're just guilty as Cain is for insubordination to God. And it's in real time. It's in real time. Every thought, every time, you know, you know what that thing is in you. And now you're like, nope. It's as far as I'm going. Hardness of that heart. When we think there's any duty to be performed, and we begin to say and shirk it and push it away, or try to make an apology for disobedience, do you understand whose presence we're standing in every day? Or we used to stand in. Will God charge me with what I've committed? And shall I be some guy that's so wicked that I attempt to deny him when he says to do something? Does he command me to perform a duty? Do I hesitate? Do I question? Do I ask myself, shall I or shall I not? What, what disrespectful, I mean brass, rebellion to God. And this is what it does. It is a trickle or the essence of treason. That is always lurking in every, every time we hesitate to obey what we know God says do. I think, I thought Cain was a monster because he, we're going to face it out with God. I'm going to tell you what, he lost. God's present everywhere. Do y'all believe that? Every sin perpetrated. You're doing it while he's watching. Years ago, we had a guy come to our church here. And this is when I believed that, like the harlot church, that when you die, you go to heaven or hell. We had a lady in our church named Bernadine. How many of y'all remember Bernadine? That Bernadine. And so I was telling this guy, so Bernadine had passed away, and my belief then was that she was in heaven. Of course, the Bible said nobody's been there. And when you die, you know nothing. Your thoughts perish that day. I mean, I had to reconcile those kind of things. And I told him, I said, man, God watches everything. What you're doing, God sees you do it. It did not phase him. But this is what I told him. And so does Bernadine. Bernadine's looking over the portals of glory. And she's watching you in the dark down there. And she sees what you're doing down there. What did he do? No, 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 he didn't do it. no, 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 not Bernadine. I don't care if God sees me. I don't see if Jesus sees me. I don't want Bernadine to see me. I said, well, stop doing it then. But that's what it is. We, do we really think God's real? You know, do we, do we ever... Uh, disobey and realize it's in the immediate presence of Yahweh, just like with the same attitude that Cain had. You've been found guilty, you know. Oh, your heads. We're going to pray this prayer again. I want you to humbly confess this. And I want to ask Yahweh, say, give me great tenderness of conscience from this day forward so I can fear you and I will never again dare to stand up to question what you say to me. Did y'all pray that? Say amen. 
All right, I'm going to finish. This is where the rock, you're going to smell what the apostle's cooking. Because after all of that and all of the feelings, there's still a sense in which we are our brother's keeper. And I want to tell you, I have a memory of places. When I used to play Little League Baseball, the Colonial Bread Company was a street over. And we'd go for practice, you know, or play ball, especially every day for practice, and they would be baking bread, man. I want to tell you that bread smelled so good. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, then there's a place when we moved to Ocala, and then there was a place that we used to call Doo-Doo Bridge. Can I say that in church? I just did. You go, you go down Pine Street, past 20th Street, and you go over the viaduct there where the water treatment plant was over here. Y'all know where I'm at? Uncle Roy's was at the bottom of the hill. And before they put the domes on that thing, how many of you have ever gone by there and you and your wife just looked at yourselves, looked at each other? You're like, what? And you turn around and you just slap one of your kids. But I remember the time we, was, we would go down baseline and I would always roll the windows down and my sons would be sitting in the back seat. And they'd go, oh, <laughs> roll up the windows. And I said, that's coming from Baloney Mountain because the dump over there smelled like bad baloney. Y'all with me here today? I'm going to tell y'all something. There is a beautiful fragrance when brotherly love is present. Oh, I love coming home to see what Bevy has went and bought me for supper. <laughs> I tell you, it is sad that Yahweh's desire for brotherly love <laughs> has been so tarnished throughout history. Think about it. The very first murder committed in Genesis 4-8. A brother killed a brother. Read other stories with all this animosity between all these brothers, man. Genesis 21, 9. Ishmael mocked Isaac. Chapter 27, verse 36 and 27 and verse 41. Jacob cheated Esau, and, and Esau hated him for it and chased him all over the country to give him a good butt whipping. And he was scared of him. Acts chapter nine, 7, verse 9. Joseph's brothers moved with jealousy sold him into Egypt. Hey, brother, just think about David, King David's sons and all the bad blood that he had between them. Absalom had Amnon killed, 2 Samuel, and Solomon did the same to Adonijah, his brother, in 1 Kings. The concept of brotherly love is so essential to having unity and one accord. And not so we can have the anointing. That's just the result of it. And that's just the way it is. And that's just how it is. And that's the law. And you can't do nothing about it. It will happen that way. But what it's doing, it is giving a demonstration of who God is. He's multitudinous. There's only one uncreated one, Yahweh. He's the only uncreated anything. Everything else was created. And by his word that was with him and was him, was God, everything else was created. So God is... God is really a kingdom and a family. There is Yahweh, the only uncreated one, but then we have the Elohim. We have all of God's family, the sons of God, the Bible calls them. We've got good teaching on it. You can go back and listen. But it's such a forceful thing. And the Greek word, you know what the Greek word is. Most people do. Philadelphus. It means affection for a brother. In secular Greek, the term was used exclusively between blood brothers. But I got to tell you, it soars way beyond that, y'all. In the New Testament, the word is employed always of this is the kind of love that Christians are to have for one another. 
because of their common relationship to the Heavenly Father by virtue of the new birth and our calling to the prize. I want to tell you what I love so much about brotherly love. True brotherly love. They can fight, but it don't affect the relationship. You ever watch Raymond? I'm like, they hate each other, but yet they love each other. It ain't a love-hate relationship. But what I'm saying is, you know, you brothers don't have thin skin with each other. Brothers have gone through things together that forged something that let no man put asunder. This new birth thing, we've been born into the family of God, called to the same high calling to that prize. And when that happens, when there's true brothers, that brotherly love that have the same mind, the same judgment, same purpose, get together, I'm going to tell you there's a sweet presence that will come and bathe our environment when we love one another as brothers should. That right there creates an atmosphere and a life. We don't, we don't think somebody's going to abandon us. We don't live in the fear of that with brotherly love. They don't like me no more. They're going to leave. They're talking bad about me. They shouldn't have said that. No, I'll tell you, there's something inviting about a family that has brotherly love. Of course, everybody talks about Jonathan and David's relationship. It's a good example. And the special bond that Yahshua had with John was special. I mean, it was, he was the apostle that he loved. I was like, wow, poor, what about Peter? <laughs> you know, what about James? What about them? But he had this pleasant brotherly unity and i'll tell you there's nothing more beautiful about it it when it's in contrast to the ugliness of division years ago you know we've had our we had our history of people coming and going every church does i know that's part of the job but i was never i'll never forget when i first started the church you know i thought i was going to be something else and do something else and then when i felt yahweh called me here he gave me a brother and who really treated me more like a big brother and a daddy, and that was Dick Brinkley. And, of course, he had a wife who cooked really good all the time. They loved us, and I'll never forget when they, we had some, a division with a guy. Was just To me, he was like a troublemaker and all this. And, and uh, so me and Dick and this guy met in my home, and my big brother tore that man's butt up. I mean, he straightened that situation out for me so beautifully, and I just loved it so much, you know. And I still love it. It's life-giving to me. So then I went to Georgia and got my real brother, my baby brother. And I brought him down here, and, and he brings Crystal down here. Then he went and gets my mama. Then he went and got my sisters. Then he got, oh, who else you bring down here? I mean, he brought so many people down here. He lived in a, like a one-bed broom quadruplex, and they were like, I mean, it like the darlings on Andy Griffith sleep, sleeping somewhere. <laughs> That's right. You know, <clears throat> Then, I mean, there's so many people here, I'd just like to take the time, you know. But then God did something crazy, man. He gave me a Puerto Rican brother that couldn't even speak Spanish. He knew what two meant. Those huevos, two eggs, he had that down. And I don't know if he loved me or he just used me to get a wife. These are, I mentioned these men because they are on the ground floor of what we've been walking with all these years. And i got to tell you, you know, uh, we've had ups and downs because we're humans at us we're gonna finish this race many others have become so wonderful to me and i want to tell you there's nothing as fulfilling as to be confident that somebody loves you that's why i said i'll never leave here there's a father in the land i'm gonna be here but to have that thing man that's brotherly and that 
in times of division, there's nothing that is, is more soothing and pleasant. When Paul told the Philippians, he said, to make my joy full, he said, be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and do nothing through faction or through vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, each counting others better than them himself. There's some brotherly love right there. Let me tell you a story about Dick one time. I, had a, I bought a car up in Milton, wrote, drove it down here. It was a uh, Monte Carlo. And the real reason I bought it because it has swivel seats in it. Man, Landau windows. Man, I love that thing. We got it down here, and Bevy and I had been on the sleep late back in our younger days. And we heard something out in our yard, and we looked, and there was the, the hood popped open. And Dick Brinkley was down into the, in the, where the engine was, the motor compartment, putting me a new alternator or something on. I don't know what it was. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, to the rescue. Hallelujah. This ain't blow up Dick Brinkley day, but hey, thank you. I need, I need some, some hedges trimmed out here, so maybe. I don't know if it's still in you or not, but, but uh, I know you can get Gloria to do it. <laughs> I'll get, I should tell Gloria to get you to do it. <laughs> to have a mindset that here we are. We got the same mind, the same love, the same accord. But we don't do things through, for ourselves. We in lowliness of mind. He thought of me over him. That's some big brother stuff right there, boys. Huh? That's some big brother stuff right there. And I can tell you, I was a big brother to him for a little while and he got bigger than me but i did some big brother stuff for him and he's done a lot of stuff for me i can't look this it says all that scripture is it says same 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 one 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 there's a magnificent formula for the brotherly unity i gotta tell you what the next place that i'm asking you to follow me to is oh how good it is for brothers to dwell in, together in unity it's like the oil that flows down Aaron's beard to every member, every part. And it's like the dew on Mount Hermon. Let me tell you what Mount Hermon did. Because at the bottom of Mount Hermon, it was a dry place that had hardly ever rained. And they appreciated so much because that dew was so heavy on that mountain. It would flow down and give life to a dry, desolate place. And what I love about it, you know, that was over there where uh, Elijah called fire from heaven and all that. You remember that? And, he, and, uh, and they couldn't get it to rain or anything. Because no, that's where it was. Like, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. And the, the God that, the, that the, uh, those other, the other people, the Philistines, no, it wasn't the Philistines, whoever they were, their God, Jezebel's people and her husband. On what show were they on, honey? They were married to that guy that was in that movie. That's what I feel like right now. So... But anyhow, their God was the God of the weather. <laughs> and, and Elijah said, no, it ain't going to rain for three and a half years. <laughs> anyhow, that beautiful thing that flows to us that we're going to have, y'all better get ready because I want you to smell what the apostle's cooking. Bow your heads. Bye. Yahweh.